2: Muy buenos días a todos. Feliz viernes. Ya 29, 28 de, de agosto, 2018. Le saluda Edgar, su anfitrión del de, fundador de Clica. El día de hoy eh, le quiero dar la bienvenida a Kat Pérez desde Sacramento, California. Hoy tenemos una entrevista muy, muy, muy interesante eh, y la vamos a hacer en inglés. Kat, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming with us. Thank you for coming to the show. Thank you you so much for
1: having me, Edgar.
2: Kat, you have one of the best Twitter handles that I have seen so far, and I've never (laughs) heard this moniker, Queer Corican. That is fantastic. Can Mm -hmm. can, can you tell us what is I mean, I know what it is. I figured it out, but Queer Corican. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, I identify as a queer woman of color, um, so I'm on the LGBTQ plus spectrum, um, but, uh, I'm half Puerto Rican, half Korean. And yeah, I would
2: like to identify as a Korean. Rican. That is fantastic. Seriously. When I saw that, I was like, yes, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. So, but now, so your, uh, your, your dad's Puerto Rican descent and your mom's Korean. Is that right? That is correct.
1: How is,
2: how is that dynamic? Because it's really, you know, you we mix with, uh, uh, I guess, you know, we all mix with other races. You know, my wife is white and my kids mm-hmm. are half or two. But it's mm-hmm. uh you know, having Puerto Rican and Korean how did how did that happen, first of all?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so so my father was in the military and um he was stationed out in South Korea when he was younger. I see. Um And I I believe he met my mother in a cafe. Um, She was working at a very young age. She didn't, unfortunately, her parents didn't have money to send her to school. So she was very young and working at a cafe. And I believe he would come in every day and and buy a Coca-Cola. And he's had his little black book, his translating book. Um, (laughs) And uh, it was very soon that they were getting married and uh, moving back to to the States.
2: Oh, wow. So I just can't (laughs) imagine that fusion between kimchi and mofongo. I can, <laughs> exactly. I can actually imagine exactly. it. I'm like savoring it. Yes. Uh-huh, totally uh-huh. dig it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you're the founder, you know, and I, I read your profile. Very impressive. You've been in the tech, uh, were pretty much all your professional life, you know, going from, you know, founding companies. You, you were at PayPal. Um, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you now you founded this uh, company called um, uh, Hell Sherpa. W- what, what, mm-hmm. what do you guys do in, in, in Hell Sherpa?
1: Yeah, yeah. So HealthSherpa is, uh, we're a technology platform, um, started out of Silicon Valley, um, but we're also a team of people. I really like to emphasize that, that component of it um, because we are helping um, people in the country find, enroll in and use affordable quality health coverage under the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, formerly known as Obamacare.
2: Okay. And uh, I mean, just quick question: have, have you been affected by the changes in the administration and changes in all tumultuous um, mm-hmm. changes in healthcare? How does that affect your business?
1: Sure. Yeah, that's a, we receive a common question there. Um, we have, you know, funny enough, considering some of the the rollouts. I mean, last year when um, the administration a discontinued cost-sharing reduction payments to the insurers. Um, You know, it was an effort to destabilize the market, but but essentially it had an adverse effect. Um, The effect really was that um, both uh, consumers' insurance uh, were attracted more to the market because they were getting better coverage at lower rates. Um, So it's interesting some of the things that they've been trying to do have uh, been helping people save more at the end of the day.
2: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, And you serve the entire community, you say, so... English Spanish everybody so you don't you don't focus on a specific target market
1: No, no, but it's um, interesting that you say that because we do try to focus um, and and at least provide more resources for the communities that are underserved and overlooked. So you you know, you mentioned Spanish, Spanish, Spanish-speaking Hispanic, Latinx communities. Um, They do account for almost uh, you know half of fifty percent of the uninsured low-income folks in the states. So you know, for us, that means really thinking about ways that we are you know bringing more Spanish speakers on and thinking about translating resources and that sort
2: of thing okay fantastic and mm-hmm. so so well and, and i kind of like jump forward you know to what you do now but I, we would like to start like almost chronologically but we can go mm-hmm. back and forth like so your parents met and you were born in in in, in california so you're a cali girl no oh no
1: i was no, I was born and raised in New Jersey.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, Puerto Rican, New Jersey, yeah, on that side. Okay. Yeah. So
1: yeah. So you
2: were born in Jersey, and you know, yeah. h- how was that? You know, growing in a m- very multicultural family uh, on on in, in Jersey.
1: Yeah. So, um, so my mother's family is still in South Korea. I mean, we've got a few folks from her side here in the states, but. Okay. Um, my father is the youngest of 10. Um, so big Puerto Rican family, um, mostly, (laughs) mostly spread, um, across, uh, New Jersey, Florida, and of course, Puerto Rico. Um, but a lot of, I grew up mostly around my father's side of the family, the Puerto Ricans. Um, so, so really that's, that's the environment I grew up in. Um, you know, we were pretty poor. My parents worked multiple jobs um, just to, you know, provide for for me and my siblings. So um, that was interesting. It's always funny because um, my my mother's obviously Korean, but she uh, she's run a few businesses and she's had Hispanic um, and Spanish speaking customers come in and. My mother will start speaking Spanish because that is literally the first language she learned when she moved to this country.
0: Okay,
1: um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and people are always surprised but it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty neat.
2: That is awesome. Yeah. But and and that's what we wanted to get to. Where do you get that entrepreneurial spirit and, you know, how, mm. you know, who were your early sources of for, you know, for inspiration? Where do you learn how yeah. to be that? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say it, it was primarily you know, my mother she and, and my father, I mean, they, they both hustled pretty hard, um, as many other, you know, immigrant parents have in the, you know, in this country. And from that generation, um, they've just they worked so hard. Um, and I saw that every day. And I think a lot of that has influenced my my work ethic and, and the way that I approach things.
2: Well, okay. So and and you know, so your parents both you know working full time, a uh, couple of jobs like like many other immigrants, mm-hmm. you say. So there's hardly any time for the kids. You know that, that's usually what we see, and mm-hmm. that can you know lead you to you know to go either to the, to the dark side or mm-hmm. the good side. So you obviously mm-hmm. came out really well. <laughs> How you know you know? Were you um, did you have any mentors at school? Anyone that can that that really just like you say, "Wow, this is what I want to do. I don't want to work for somebody else. I just want to do my own thing, start companies, and go into the tech world." When when mm-hmm. did you realize you wanted to be in the t- in tech and design? And
1: yeah, definitely. So I mean, I think <laughs> when I was younger, going through um, high school and 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 college. Um, I mean my my focus was purely more on the creative side um, and it wasn't until I moved to San Francisco and things really started to kind of you know boom there in terms of the the tech bubble and 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 startups um, and entrepreneurship um it wasn't until I moved there in about the, I think it was the early 2000s maybe 03 um oh two. Where I started to connect with other folks, um, you know, friends of friends, um, and and started to work on side projects outside of my full-time jobs, which at the time were still creative. Um, I, I mean, I would say that's when I first started to really consider you know, seriously building technology products and and getting into this this world of um, you know Silicon Valley, really.
2: Okay, so that was, and you just decided to take the trip to SF, to San Francisco on your own? or? Yes,
1: yeah, mm. so that was, um, I mean, that was an interesting uh, transition. I mean, I think for me, I sit at the intersection of, you know, not of many intersections, just like a lot of people do. But I think for me, you know, San Francisco, I had some friends there who were part of the LGBTQ plus community. So okay. um, for me, I was also looking for that community as well and and that's really what drew me to san francisco at the age of 25 um and so i decided to make the move um at that point um but yeah that that's really you know that was one of the major reasons that drew me there it wasn't until i got to san francisco that i seriously started to think about tech and technology products
2: oh okay interesting and you worked for paypal for a little while or actually a while Mm
1: -hmm. How, how
2: was that experience you know working in that tech giant back then
1: you know, working working at PayPal was really one of the best experiences I've I've had in my career. Um, I would say it was a pivotal one. Um, although PayPal is a large, you know, f- fintech financial tech company, um, the way that they had the team structured internally and and just the kind of um, the growth path and development that they provided for folks was just something that was incredibly beneficial to me and uh so attractive like I look back on on the team of people I worked with at PayPal and it's it's one of those teams where I was like wow these these folks were amazing we showed up for each other um there were a lot of women and a lot of folks of different identities on my team so it was just that was a, a really kind of momentous um and and pivotal moment in my career
2: okay and 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 I was gonna follow up with the question because i I know I've, I've read that you're a champion for diversity and inclusion in the tech world. Mm-hmm. When did you start realizing uh, that there was something there in the tech world that needed to you know get some some more color Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, I mean I probably we've I think all of us have experienced some of this mm-hmm. to to a degree throughout our our lives um, consistently. Um, but you know, when I joined Health Sherpa, um I joined because I had some very, you know, bad prior experiences with other startups um and founders. Um but I joined Health Sherpa because, you know, the two my two co founders now, the original co founders, um, George and Ning, these guys after talking to them, I mean, super humble, super smart, I could tell that they respected me. But the reason I bring that up is because, um, you know, when I joined HealthSherpa, one of our investors is Kapor Capital. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. They're based yes, out of Oakland. Are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Kapor is great. They they walk the walk. They've been doing this work for so long um, and they, they care genuinely about this work. And so they, um, you know, they created this founder's commitment where the founders of their portfolio companies would, you know, really have to be champions for diversity and inclusion and have to and be held accountable and walk the walk. Um, and so they're one of our investors. And I decided to take on those initiatives, take on the training, go to the workshops and and really, you know, as I mentioned before, Edward, by nature of who we are serving, you know, the uninsured, low income, under mm-hmm. 65 market in this country. You know half of that market are communities of color, they are at risk communities, they are LGBTq plus and so for me, that was already a personal kind of lived experience component yeah. that really drew me to want to do that work
2: okay now now <clears throat> in, in that you know b- by the way, actually, a shout out to Kapoor capital capital. <laughs> um, they, we, we actually have an event here every year, the Startup Weekend in Latino in Portland, that we are, I, help co-organize, mm-hmm. and it's coming up in a month. And you know, th- this is the first year the Cap War, it's going to be one of our uh, main sponsors. So, thank you, for, thank you to them, you know, for really walking the walk, like you said, and, and you mm-hmm. know, you know, putting money where uh, where it's needed. So, hopefully, we'll get to meet, uh, you know, meet some of the founders in in a couple of months in in, in Oakland. So that's going to be pretty exciting, you know. Uh, and yes, we we we're, uh, we've had, we, we've had several interviews here, and I know other startup founders that have been um, <clears throat> funded by Kapoor. Nice. So yeah, it's it, it's exciting. So now, but but you know, you personally, when when was the first time that you realized, hey, you know, I need you know, I need to drive some change personally here in, into the tech world, just to change, you know, the, in, in, add more diversity. Was there yeah. any pivotal in, in any company or at any point in time?
1: Yeah, there were moments um, before I joined Health HealthSherpa. Uh, I had worked at um, other places for a very short amount of time uh, where I experienced um, that very overt and explicit bad behavior. Um, and when I say bad behavior, I mean... Um, Women not being taken seriously, women not having a seat at the table. I mean, um, Hispanic women not being asked to join in after-work events. I mean, very obvious um, behaviors that were inappropriate and flat-out wrong um, for you know a, a leader of a company, um, usually a cis white male-identified individual to to be behaving in that way. So I think there was, there were very specific moments and experiences that I've had um, in my career leading up to joining Health Sherpa, where I decided, you know, I'm no longer going to be one of those, those folks who just um, maybe doesn't, you know, we brush it off and we're just like, this is the way that it is. And I think we are all getting to a place where now we are sharing our stories and we are speaking up and we are trying to create change um, and create equity um, amongst all, especially in tech and other industries. Um, I mean, you see this conversation playing out all over yeah. the place, right? Correct. Mm-hmm.
2: But, but that's exactly why, you know, we hear this conversation. And, and, you know, on the one hand, you know, we have the acknowledgement that we have to bring more uh, mm-hmm. inclusion and diversity the other mm-hmm. problem, I've heard from other founders on the other side of the spectrum, too. is like, well, we have the problem. Of, it's a maybe a pipeline issue as well. And, mm-hmm. and we have to, you know, in some respects, that's, that could be true. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, uh, what we see is like, well, as a startup founder, you, you know, your focus, I guess, number one, it should be on your customers, too, and, and also your bottom mm-hmm. line. So how do you re- reconcile those three issues? You know, I got to keep my product you know, in line with, my, with what my customers want. I got to keep revenues coming in and money flowing into the company, but I mm-hmm. also have to keep this uh, work, w- workplace balance and, and inclusion.
1: Yeah, mm. yeah, that's a good question, Edgar. So, I mean, <clears throat> I think for us, we've been fortunate to see that play out um, in our favor, um, meaning seeing the impact to our bottom line after rolling out diversity inclusion initiatives and increasing representation on our team. Um, We have a case study on it internally, but, and we've worked with, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Project Include as well. I'm going to give them a plug. Yeah. Yeah, So, yeah, I I mean, Laura Mm. Gomez and Alan Powell and a few others are part of that founding team, but doing really great kind of analytical work around um, ways to really kind of make change and and put plans, um, tangible plans into place. Um, but I think for us, you know, when I joined Hell Sherpa we were only seven people. Uh, I mean okay. I was I was higher number seven. We were very, very small. Um and, and to be honest, I was probably maybe, you know, one of two in terms of some sort of spectrum of diversity on, on the team. Okay. Um, at least visible diversity, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, I mean, I think the first things that we did are just, you know, creating a value system together. Um, looking at our hiring process, how do we make that fair? How we, how do we take into account lived experience, distance traveled? I mean, all of these components that we don't look at. Sure, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the pipeline, and there's a lot of folks who are working on that that component too. I, I think it's a it, it's a collective effort that's really going to drive change. Um, but I think for us, you know, when we were able to increase representation and as we continue to to better inclusion uh, internally, which is, you know, it doesn't start with hiring. It definitely starts with the folks that you have on the team. And mm-hmm. do they share the same values? Do they believe in, in equity? Um, you know, because it can mean different things to different people. But um, once right. we were able to get that representation on the team and, um, with some of those initiatives we rolled out, uh, we saw we saw the bottom line increase. Uh, those that that happened. Um, the direct direct the direct correlation would be a little bit harder to track, track I would yeah. say. Yeah. Um, but but we saw really great improvements. And I think also, I mean, by nature of what we do, we are serving those communities. So it's just in our best interest to make sure we have representation on the team.
2: Absolutely, no, no, no. You're okay. right, and and well, n- now going back to the you know the actual meat of the, the startup. You know, uh-huh. you, you said so you you're one of the original co-founders. You're number seven. Were you involved in in all the um, uh, uh, you know pitching, you know, investment efforts, or did you come right after that?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question, Edgar. So I uh, I came on as hire number seven as chief of product at HealthSherpa. So leading up product working with the engineering teams. Okay. Um, but George and Ning were the original co-founders. And then after a year, they asked me to be a co-founder. So oh, they cool. grandfathered me in. Yeah. <laughs> Um and I had to think about it for a minute because I was very exhausted from the years before. <laughs> <laughs> um but but uh yeah, it was definitely an opportunity I, I couldn't um pass up and I really trusted them both, which is one of the reasons why I said yes, um, because it essentially is a relationship. <laughs> um and so, so yeah, I was grandfathered in as a co founder a year later, um, and, and then started kind of taking on more of the, the, these kind of, um, other people, ops kind of roles where, you know, managing culture and growth and development and diversity, inclusion and some of these other components that I care very, very deeply about.
2: Awesome. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So, and, 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 and as your role, what, what, what do you do, you know, so you're the liaison between the engineering team and the design, you know, what's what, not, not your day to day, but the overall scope of what you do?
1: <laughs> um, yes, mm. many hats.
2: <laughs> well, example, and the start of yes, war, yes, of course. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: yesterday uh, we just moved um we just uh, we're growing, so we just moved into a much bigger office in, in Sacramento, a historical firehouse. Um and uh yeah, yesterday I was Unpacking boxes, cleaning up the office. So I mean, it's, yeah, anything it's from a janitor. Yeah,
2: that that and that's what I tell them <laughs> when, when I say, like, oh, so you're one of the founders. Yeah, that entails being janitor. You know, taking the trash out. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, exactly. to, to yeah. signing, you know, the mm-hmm. the, the the funding. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah.
1: So, um, yeah. So for me, it's uh, it's wearing the hat of a product leader, and that's working very closely with my co-founder Ning, who's the chief technical officer making sure that we are on track in terms of what we're building what we're optimizing how we're um, potentially going into new markets um it also means um uh managing and overseeing the kind of the consumer advocate side we call them advocates um if you can think of support teams it's kind Mm -hmm. of similar model but we operate very differently um a lot of the folks that we bring on are Folks who come from nonprofit, social work, community-based backgrounds. So it's not – we don't operate in a sales capacity, if that makes sense. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So our consumer advocates are the folks who answer the phones and help people understand what their options are. They help them apply. They help them enroll. They help them use their coverage. Um, and you know, about twenty percent of people are coming through the phones, um, okay. so it's not just about the the digital platform or the self enrollment product. Um, the human experience matters just as much, if not more.
2: Okay, yeah, no, no, that, that's interesting because we we had a a, a similar case story in our um uh, in our startup where mm-hmm. we used to Well, we still have our call center, but we were able to almost pretty much eliminate ninety nine percent of the phone calls. By uh-huh. installing, like, live chat, which, uh-huh. you know, some people uh-huh. hate. And people are like, oh, I hate that. But, you know, ours is uh-huh. an app service, so that made a uh-huh. little bit more sense. When you have a problem and something's not going your way in the app, well, uh-huh. if you have to call, then you're, you're not looking at the screen anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, yep. yeah, that th- that was a, a case study that I was, at, at the beginning, I was kind of like against for it because I said, yeah, especially our people, the migrant people, Hispanics, mm-hmm. we, we want to have, uh, I want to have someone on the line and tell you my problem, not a robot. Mm-hmm. But,
1: yeah, yeah. B- but
2: you know what? Mm-hmm. It solved the problems. Our um, productivity went up and, yep. yeah, so yep. now the call centers just, you know, minimize. Yeah. It's, it's been great. Yeah.
1: That's great. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's certainly mm-hmm. our... Our goal, just in terms of um, creating a product or an experience that folks really, really trust and, and really can depend on. And we're pretty much there because the majority are coming through, through the whole platform. Um, but, you know, as you think about health insurance and how complicated it already is, and then you oh, have I this know. layer of policy
2: I and the administration. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, the human the human component really goes a long way.
2: I know, no, and like like I mm-hmm. said, I know from experience because we have that, and I had to enroll, you know, my, mm-hmm. you know, I had to do it every year, and I'm like I, it's just so exasperating. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. What we have here in Oregon is not as user friendly as it should be.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you mm-hmm. know,
2: they really—if somebody's listening from the state of Oregon, somebody should be working on that on the user experience. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. absolutely terrible. <laughs> but uh, and, and yeah, like I said, sometimes you, you just want someone, and they don't, you know, they don't have any support. Uh, you're basically on your own on a computer, and, and that's it.
1: Yeah, yeah, um,
2: yeah. Very um, frustrating. But uh, no, I totally get what you what you say. But now, in, totally. in those terms, um, so there's a lot of policy changing, almost uh, you know, weekly, monthly. How, mm-hmm. how did you come up? You know, especially when we had uh, this upset in, uh, in the administration. And mm-hmm. you anticipated that, you know, things were going to change probably for the worse or, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. things up in the air. How do you guys, you know, adjusted your planning? And I'm sure, you know, changed your strategy from the day of the election wasn't to, to now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in startup world, it's constantly changing. <laughs> um, but I would say, yeah, I would say, you know, in terms of. When we found out that news, I, I would say that I can remember that day at you know at our company um, a lot of emotions as as you can imagine um but I think for us, you know, and, and with the government and how they move, um, things, things could be slow moving just, just in terms of provisions and policy. Um, we have folks on the ground too, um, in DC too, and we're pretty involved in, um, working with folks over there just to get from a product perspective, getting the integrations in place with, you know, with partners over there to make sure that we're providing the best, um, experience. But, but yeah, I think for us, um, we roll with the punches, right? I mean, we, we can only get so many um, so much visibility to what actually will kind of be pushed out um, as a policy change or provision. Um, I mean, for example, last year, they um, cut funding, marketing funding by 90%. Yeah. Um, and they also cut the enrollment in period, period in half. Um, but I think I, I mentioned this prior, the, the effect was, the opposite, potentially, of what they intended. I mean, mm-hmm. the numbers went up dramatically. And I remember
2: hearing that in Oregon as well, you know, when you know the administration tried to sabotage, you know, mm-hmm. about, well, the ACA, and mm-hmm. it would just completely backfired on them
1: yeah yeah and even even now it's the it's the special enrollment period so you don't you, know, you have to have a qualifying life event to enroll so it's just a much okay. slower or much lower numbers but um even now the numbers are you know double the, than what Still. they were last special enrollment oh, wow. so it's yeah, so folks and, and folks on both sides, right? This is not just about mm-hmm. a specific type of, you know, political leading
2: person. Oh, absolutely. Who wants
1: this, coverage. Yeah. this is everybody. We, we who all wants get this sick. Coverage. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah, illnesses don't, don't discriminate against red or blue mm-hmm. or black or white or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, no, absolutely. Exactly. And, and you know, th- th- this could be, you know, also attributed to the blitz and uh, and the previous years. Because, you know, as we know in marketing, it takes, you know, a campaign takes time to, for users to adopt. It's not always mm-hmm. immediate. So there's always mm-hmm. a, an effect afterwards. But yeah. th- let, let me just make a quick shout out to our uh, one of our sponsors, CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, we, the customers, decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, email, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at CPAs dot dudes dot com slash startup radio. Thank you. So, uh, you know, this is really interesting. And but one of the things that I you know, um, I haven't figured out and what's your business model at uh Hellshare, but how do you scale this business and how do you guys make money?
1: Yeah, yeah, that we get that question a lot. So, um so technically we are a licensed uh web broker. So, we okay. operate um yeah, from a revenue perspective, um you know, we're making uh money off of the commissions that any health insurance uh, company that is paying commissions um okay. pays. Um but yeah, we're not charging um, folks, and then as I mentioned, our consumer advocates are not um, making commissions, so they're not operating the sales kind of capacity. So yeah, so I mean, the the bulk and the core of our revenue really comes from those commissions.
2: Oh, just commissions. Okay, so yeah. it's similar to our startup business, it's similar. Just get a you get a commission on every transaction. That's mm-hmm. that's good. But and and you guys operate nationwide, only in the U.S. For now. Yes.
1: Yep. Yep. In the in the country, um, all fifty states plus DC.
2: Okay, and I'm, I'm I'm assuming that was a nightmare to get licenses, or <laughs> and it was. I mean, I got
1: <laughs> I've got to give credit uh, to my co-founders, George and Ning. They they figured that out. Um, I, I believe George might have been tasked with that that operational um, project. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, they, they're able to figure it out in terms of getting licensed under every state and appointed under every insurance carrier. Um, it's it's pretty seamless. And, and the advocates that we do bring on, we do the same for them. So, um, you know, they get training around, you know, ACA, AC law and how that's changing, as well as the, the actual insurance license so that we can understand, you know, how these plans work um, okay. inside
2: out. Interesting. No, that is fantastic. And, uh, you know, you, you said you guys have raised capital, you know, from Kapoor. Did, did you guys raise any more capital several rounds or how many? I mean, if you mm-hmm. guys can disclose whatever you, you can, you know, in, in many rounds or, you know, how, how difficult or how easy has it been to, to raise capital on this um, uh, since mm-hmm. you guys started?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we, um, so seven uh, raised to date, seven million. Okay. Uh, about um 11 in lifetime revenue. Um, but we've, uh, yeah, we just raised uh, um, an a recently, um, and the, the lead investor there also, um, an investor who cares about social impact, um, and doing some great work core innovation capital. Okay. Um, yeah. So they were, they were the lead investor in the last round, um, those were rounds i was uh all founders were part of just uh although i have to give i got i gotta give credit to george for doing that um the heavy lifting there um but yeah i would say when we started that process it was incredibly difficult because uh as you know you know the elections went the way that they went yeah um and so those conversations were were pretty tough with with the investors in the valley
2: I'm sure you know there was a lot of uncertainty what was going to happen. I'm mm-hmm. sure there was a lot of nervousness, and a lot of you know pullback. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. congratulations on raising the money and under such adverse conditions. No. Huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've um, we've enrolled over 1.4 million. On our platform, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, accounting for you know about three to four percent of the market. Um, so we are we are literally the first um, uh, or the number one private enrollment platform behind Healthcare.gov, and and we really think that's because we are solely focused on ACA and ACA coverage versus okay. um, versus other coverage.
2: Oh what is the difference other covers and then that's what probably the question that everybody has, like I don't know, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, so if you think about insurance products and and um insurance agencies and how they operate, they're usually selling multiple products, they're upselling cross selling you on Um, if you think about, you know, accidents, um, you know, life insurance, these are all types of, uh, coverage that when you think about for us, we want to focus on ACA coverage because there's so many protections in place, right? There's a lot of, uh, essential health benefits that are required of these plans, mental health coverage, pre postnatal care, um, preventative health is free. I mean, very basic fundamental things that protect people, um, Whereas with some of these other plans like short term um, or some of these other private plans or non-marketplace plans um, are kind of like kind of gap plans. They're like filler plans. Mm -hmm. They can be expensive, but really don't aren't offering you much protection. So I think for us, because we've been focused solely on on ACA coverage and the benefits of this coverage, uh, it's really helped us kind of uh, move to the top in terms of the volume and the market share that we have.
2: Okay. And, and and like you said you your primarily focus is also on underserved communities. What what do you do to reach these communities?
1: Mhm. Yeah, so we have a so we have a lot of in terms of kind of our outreach strategy, we've got a lot of partnerships with um if you can imagine companies that have a lot of part-timers that aren't offered benefits they you know they're non-benefits eligible um you know they we work with a lot of big big companies public companies who have huge part-time populations and so that's been great because when you when we look at the you know demographics too of those populations they do look like my community right they do look like your community so um, so we've been working directly with those corporate partners, but we've also been working with nonprofits and other organizations. Um, so, for example, right now, I've been um, focused with, with my team on LGBTQ organizations and, and focusing on how we could um, reach that um, community, considering the stigmas they face um, and the lack of access that they face in health care and health coverage. Um, so, I, I think from a strategic standpoint, that has worked very well in our favor. Um, and it's also scalable, right? It's a scalable model um, yeah. to, to go to market in that way.
2: Okay. Now, it, it, uh, have you guys uh, learned anything new that, that you guys didn't have in, in your projections from the customer behavior or product behavior?
1: Well, I mean, I would say that the, we've got a lot of data from the past years. Um, so it's been interesting to see uh, the decisions that, that folks make when they do start to uh, look at plans, um, marketplace plans in any given area. Um, I mean, we're finding that a lot of women identified um, individuals are uh, accounting for more of the enrollments. Um, really? Which yeah, that okay. makes sense too because I you know I've read data around um kind of floating out in the in the Google sphere around um how women are considered, you know, your chief health officers of the household. Um yes,
2: women are more responsible than men in that respect. Not <laughs> yeah. oh, well, not only um, that, not only that. Let me clarify. Yes. <laughs> um
1: but yeah, and we've also seen a, a lot of other interesting behavior around people buying up um, versus buying down, okay. um, based on what their income levels look like. So uh, we've got um, we've got some interesting pieces out there, um, research pieces that we publish, um, especially during open enrollment, as we see folks come in real time, because we jo- we've got just such a rich database of, of information around who's enrolling and what are people choosing and. Um, you know, if folks had a plan last year, what are they choosing this year? It's it's all very interesting, and it's you know it it is all tied back to, um you know variables like how much how much the household makes or how much you make.
2: Okay, and and is there a distinction precisely on that thing? Is there a distinction you know, who spends more or or invests more in healthcare uh, per income? I mean, do you see more on the upper upper class or you know lo- lower income?
1: Well, we see um, folks who who make more come in um, at the top of the funnel, but um, not not really making a, a decision. Um, I think that makes sense because you think about you know if you're making more, then you're not going to qualify for more of the subsidies, and so maybe
2: it. I see. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. So maybe it's just one of those decisions where, like, you know, do I really need this, and how much am I willing to pay for it? Um, Whereas folks who are lower income or fall within um, the sweet spot of the the federal poverty limit, which really kind of determines um, how much subsidy you get from the government plus cost-sharing reductions. I mean, folks who qualify for those nice subsidies and those higher cost-sharing reductions are more likely to enroll because they're getting plans with, you know, low, lower $0 premiums and low deductibles. Oh, um, so okay. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, and, and, and that's right, you know, pro- probably op- um Higher income people tend to have, you know, a job that probably pays for it. So I, I don't know if, if, if that makes sense. But um, now, it, it, uh, do you guys work with uh, the migrant community as well, or is that uh, not a qualified sector?
1: Well, healthcare.gov does support um, uh, naturalized, um, your drive citizens, um, so non-citizenship. Yeah. Uh and and we do support um that on our platform. And I think that that's a that's a product of uh um the integrations that we have in place with healthcare. Okay. But generally speaking um you know that's uh supporting those cases is certainly part of the experience.
2: Okay. And, and you um, said we
1: are we are bound by the rules of, you know, the way the the um federal government the federal, yeah. Uh, operates. Yeah.
2: Okay. No, and, and you said the, the information is mostly in English, but you guys have translators and, and information available in, in other languages as well.
1: Correct. Yeah, we've got um, emails and and those sorts of things um, uh, translated by um, a Spanish, wonderful Spanish woman that I work with um, from L.A. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, and then the site um, working on getting that um, translated by human versus uh, Google. Oh,
0: no. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And um, yes, and we've got about 30 percent of folks um, on site who are um, native Spanish speakers.
2: Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. So and you know in terms of uh, growth and development, where, you know, I, I and I know right now it's tumultuous times, but where do you uh, where is a Health Sherpa going? I mean, what's yeah. uh, what's what's the target? I mean, it's uh, are you guys growing? To, you know, uh, hoping to you know to go public, uh, exit. I mean, if you guys can discuss, I mean
1: yeah, I mean, I think it's it might be too soon <laughs> to say. Uh-huh.
2: Um,
1: I think for us, we are looking to grow um, maybe get to um, ten million a year will be our next uh, revenue per year would be our next uh, milestone, big milestone for the company. Um, so I think for us, we're we're looking to grow, and I think we're gonna see the market kind of um, shift and and open up as um, as we continue to build out, out our integrations and technology on our end. so um, so, yeah, we certainly believe in the market. We certainly believe in healthcare reform. We're also looking at um, Medicare as well. Okay. um and innovating in that space for um the over sixty five and disabled population. Um, there isn't a ton of product or technology innovation there currently. Um, so we're excited to to really kind of um, start putting some some time and resources on that as well. Yeah, I mean, as, especially as you think about older folks kind of aging in, um, and what generation they're from. You know, we're all using devices now, so there's going going to be a point in the very near future where um, you know the market is just going to demand a decision support tool or product mm-hmm. for Medicare.
2: Yeah, and and it's a completely untapped market
1: mm-hmm. for now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, and but in in, in terms um, of uh, scalability too for health share, are you guys going international? Do you, is there a way that this, the platform can can grow uh, outside of the U.S. boundaries, or, or is it just a platform designed for what the U.S. health system is currently uh, set up to be?
1: Anything is possible. <laughs>
2: okay. And you guys have any plans, or have you thought about it?
1: Um it it comes up in conversation. I think we're still too young and and you know as as you and and many others already know this the system here needs a lot of uh love and attention. Um so I mean I think we can take this model this model of understanding policy and regulation and law around health care as well as the technology and product component that we've created and iterated and continue to improve um, and probably apply that to um, to other geographic locations or areas if, if we wanted to expand outside of, um, outside of our country. But I think the focus um, surely enough in the near and the, the uh, medium term is definitely going to be on improving the experience here for folks in, in the U.S.
2: And and getting more people insured, um, you know, in, in or mm-hmm. getting it in, into the system. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and you know, you, you know, in, in the last section, you know, as um as a champion of diversity and inclusion, what's your ultimate goal with Hell Sherpa? I mean, as the organization grows and continues to mature.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think ultimate goal would be to see the a decline in the uninsured rates for those mm-hmm. specific communities. As you, as you think about the Black and the Latinx and Hispanic community, as you think of the LGBTQ plus community and other communities that are underserved and overlooked. And part of that unfortunate statistic in our country, I would like to see us make an impact there um, and, how? And, and help get those folks enrollments.
2: No, absolutely. hmm. Now, and, and, you know, I think we discussed here in, in a panel with you know, previous guests, you know, that are also in the health system. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, low enrollments, but also, you know, the high propensity for certain diseases like diabetes in the Latino community, mm-hmm. uh, hep, HEP B, et cetera, et cetera. You know, is there any way that you, you know, health Sherpa can help in the, in, in the proactive side of the health medicine?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So one of the other things that we focus on, and I think is a big differentiator of, of what we do and the products that we build, um, is the post-enrollment experience. So uh, apart okay. from just helping you decide, right, what coverage makes sense for you, what coverage you're going to need based on what's going on with your health or things that you might be able to anticipate, um, but also what you can afford, uh we also manage what happens after you have that coverage if you decide to go with it, right? So finding providers, finding um, hospitals, looking up a prescription drug costs, um, making sure that you're aware of the preventative, uh, free preventative health care services that you're entitled to from day one, um, free, of, free of charge, no cost.
2: Okay. Um,
1: yeah. So I think there's, there are things that we are continuing to add on to. We, we call it the, the consumer dashboard. If you can imagine kind of like a health insurance portal yeah.
2: um,
1: combined with a healthcare.gov portal, it's kind of, it's, it's a, it's a very simplified version of that. Um, you know, we're also folding into this portal um, claims uh, services, deductible meters, um, out-of-pocket cost calculators. Um, I, I would say for us, it's, it's more of a focus on the person's health absolutely is a priority that matters. And and that's why we believe in this coverage. Um, But we also really feel strongly about the affordability component Mm -hmm. and helping, helping folks who are living paycheck to paycheck um, and, you know, are are not as privileged as some of us to, to understand how they can potentially um, budget for, for things like health coverage or a procedure or prescription um, too often we get phone calls where folks have to make a decision between literally getting their prescription or buying groceries for the yeah. week. Yeah, it's it's incredibly sad.
2: I know, I know, and, and that's yeah. when you know health starts to decline rapidly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly. leads to a more expensive procedure. But again, you know, if you mm-hmm. don't have a choice, uh, mm-hmm. it's between you know I'll deal with this later or I'll lead mm-hmm. today. And my kids say today. You know, that's uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, you know we're fortunate enough not to to have that experience, but, you know, it's, it's the reality for millions of people in the U.S., and, you know, regardless of color, it's just mm-hmm. a sort of, you know, economic condition. Yeah. Um, no, but now, now I have, you know, a, a better understanding, and hopefully everybody gets, you know, an idea of what this is, you know, a complete dashboard that mirrors the financial health and the um, the proactive approach to medicine you mm-hmm. know, for preventative care. hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, and, and if you have any ask for an audience, you know, we have, you know, other entre- entrepreneurs, or, you know, startup founders, w- what is it that you, n- not healthshare, well, or healthshare, but, but what will make your job easier right now?
1: Um, what would make my job easier?
2: Yeah. Or what would you need you know, in terms of networking or something for the audience? And, you know, we, we may be able to connect, you know, to, to connect the dots.
1: Oh, got it. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, well, if anybody's looking for... <laughs> unbiased um, health coverage uh, under the ACA, we can provide that. But um, I mean, I would say I just went to this, this really amazing event um, thrown by Omar Duque. I don't know if you know him, No. but he, he runs a, he runs a, the Latinx founders collective dinner. And that was just a, that was a really great experience. It was, he, I went to San Francisco to this dinner and it was all Latinx founders, investors, entrepreneurs, innovators, um, you know, it's, I think for me, it's, uh, it's really about these connections, especially in our community, um, in hopes of, you know, creating collaborative outcomes, resulting in, in successful ventures, you know, from these dinners, you know, Latinx founders got funded by Latinx investors. I mean, really amazing yes. things happening. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, think for me, it's just continuing to, to make these connections with my community across, you know, the intersections that I, I sit at, um, because I think that's, you know, that's the way we are going to kind of propel each other forward um, and, and get some of our amazing businesses more exposure. Um, does that answer the question?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no. And, and that's okay. exactly what we, you know, what we try to accomplish here, just being a forum mm-hmm. for people to yeah. communicate. And we've been, you know, putting people in contact with, like, hey, you know, I know that's this great. other person and, you know, from coast to coast, uh, you know, we had tremendous stories like yours. Uh, coming into the show, it's like, oh, you know what, we, you know, you guys could benefit, and if not, at the very least, talk and have somebody yeah. else yeah. in in your network. You know, somebody successful, somebody has, you know, gone through all the ins and outs of you know start, you know, founding a startup, scaling mm-hmm. it, and you know maybe some you know take a failure or two, and and then coming back at uh, back at it again. Uh
1: hmm Uh mm-hmm. huh. Yep, absolutely.
2: But yeah, so and uh, we we want to make an invitation to everyone, you know, to uh, you know just follow us. You know, we, like I said, you know, we have different events throughout the year. We attend. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, this year we'll go back to the Tech Inclusion um, uh, event in San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. you know, get to meet many many of you in person.
1: Yeah, that would be wonderful. That's that's a wonderful conference. Been to that one.
2: It is, you know, we've been there for a couple of years. Last year I didn't get to go, but the previous two years I was, and it's, it's a fantastic place, and it, it's getting better and better. Um, nice. But now, you know, my, you know, just to conclude, my, I, I did read that you you make a mean uh, pork shoulder, Puerto Rican pork shoulder. So I just want to say, you know, when. <laughs> I read it. I mean, you you posted it online, so I was like, okay, we got, we gotta check if it's true, just so for the audience to see, like, yes, we we can vouch for this. <laughs> you know
1: i've been I, my my parents just moved here from new jersey i got them to move here oh, um, yeah and I, I told my father i was like there aren't that many at least to my knowledge puerto ricans out in california or at least in this area you really should open up like a food truck or a pop-up or something
2: yes can you imagine <laughs> just having mofongo for breakfast and then chuleta cancan mm-hmm. can for, for yep. dinner yes it,
1: they just made some
2: paté, by hand the other day. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so good. So good, and it's almost it's almost noon here, so we're gonna go find a you know something to. But yeah, I'll so so we're gonna be we're gonna be checking that on uh, on Instagram and 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 Twitter. Uh, where, where can where can they find you know all these recipes and where can they where can we find patés and on online. <laughs>
1: Uh yeah, you can find me on Twitter @caporaz says. <laughs> That's my Twitter handle. Um I'm also on Instagram I have an Instagram handle there as well, but um but yeah, I'll, I'll post some some photos of that Puerto Rican goodness there.
2: Yeah, no, and, and we'll be waiting for the invite. So next time we're in San Francisco, <laughs> we'll be knocking on the door.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
2: Well, thank you so much, Kat. It's been wonderful having you on the show. And, you know, we we also, like, like I say, our promise here, our pledge is to connect people, not only also in the, in the Latino spectrum, but, um, you know, my, my co-host, uh, Rhodes Perry, uh, who hosts the um, the Out Entrepreneur, coming up next. And he, you know, talks to LGBTQ founders from all over the world. So I would love for you to meet him. He's a fantastic guy. He'll be he's already waiting outside of the cabin in a couple of minutes will be his show. And hopefully he can have you soon because again, you know, all we want to do is connect those dots and make shit happen.
1: Wonderful. I love that. Thank you so much for having me, Edgar.
2: Well, thank you so much, Kat. A wonderful. Happy uh, Happy Friday, everyone. Kat Paris from Health Sherpa. Thanks for everyone listening and enjoy your Friday. Happy Labor Day. You've been listening to the Latino Founder Hour podcast with your hosts, Edgar Navas, founder of Clica, and
1: Claudia Cardenas.
0: El programa Latino Founder Hour es grabado en las instalaciones de NetSpace en el estudio Bigfoot Podcast en la hermosa ciudad de Portland.